Welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. What's up? Jeremy Rushing hanging out with you. Episode 25. Yes, 2-5. Thank you so, 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 so much. If you have been listening to now all 25 episodes, can't thank you enough. If this is your first time giving 10,000 Pitches a crack, we really do appreciate it. As always, a lot to get to on the show today, but first... Got to let you know that if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review if your platform allows it. Hitting that subscribe button, number of subscribers obviously increases the number of listeners who get notified about 10,000 pitches. So that's always good if you're into the the show to get notified anytime we drop a new episode. But also rating and reviewing, the amount of ratings and reviews that we get uh, just really helps the growth of this podcast and the placement of this podcast on all platforms. So if you haven't left us a rating and review, please do that. And of course, if you haven't subscribed and you like what you're hearing, go ahead and do that as well. Also, go ahead and follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're at 10K Pitches. A little bit later on, we'll be talking to new Minneapolis City Director of Goalkeeping, Allie Lipscher. Uh, she is also the Director of Goalkeeping at the University of Minnesota for their women's soccer team and then at Fusion Soccer Academy. And she owns First Line Football, which is designed as kind of a training regimen and resource for uh, goalkeepers. So she's very, very busy. So I really appreciate her time. That interview coming up again a little bit later on the show. And now, as always, let's get to some Loons news. Let's kick things off with Minnesota United Talk as they dominate FC Dallas 3-0 in the season finale Sunday night, which solidifies their position in the four spot in the West. And they will host a playoff game for the second consecutive year, taking on number five seed Colorado in the first round. That game, we don't know what the exact day and time will be for that match. It'll happen sometime from November 21st through November 24th. Before we get to sort of the ins and outs of the game, uh, did want to mention Brent Coleman did choose to stand once again in the uh, pregame moment of silence and observance. Uh, observance of the need for social justice change in this country, during which obviously a vast, vast, vast majority of players and coaches, not only in MLS, but worldwide, have chosen to kneel during that time. Uh, This has been an ongoing discussion on Twitter uh, among Loon's faithful regarding his continued decision not to kneel. And we had Brett in a post-game press conference after the Chicago game. And unfortunately, nobody asked him about it during that press conference. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Uh, I, I did not think we would get him in that uh, in that press conference. So personally, being there on the Zoom call, I, I, I kind of froze. I, I couldn't come up with a way in that moment to phrase the question the way I wanted. So unfortunately, I missed that opportunity to do my job and get some clarity on that situation from the source regarding his reasoning and the communication between himself and his teammates, coaches, et cetera, on that decision. Um, And that's my bad. Like, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Probably should have asked him directly so we could get that information straight from the source. Didn't do that. My fault. Last night, I was hoping we would get Brent again, but we did not. I did get the opportunity, however, to ask Coach Adrian Heath about it. Uh, And big thanks to Jeff Reuter of The Athletic for quickly transcribing his answer in real time and getting it out on Twitter. Uh, But here's what Adrian Heath had to say in response to my question, which again was mostly about, it's not Heath's place to say why Brent's doing what he's doing. Um, It is only his place, and I asked him specifically about Brent's communication with the team regarding that decision, how that decision has been received, and if there's been any kind of ongoing discussion about that in the locker room. So here is what uh, Adrian Heath had to say about Brent Coleman's decision to stand 
instead of Neal before the game for the second straight game on the pitch as he was the starter for Minnesota United for the second straight game. Adrian Heath said, quote, he has in terms of he has uh, been talking to the team about it and he has let his team know ahead of time about that decision. Heath goes on to say, quote, and I fully support him. He has his reasons. Brent spoke to his teammates. He can express himself in the way that he feels is right. The one thing that we all know about him is he's a great guy. He's a great teammate and he stands for something different. So I just think that we have to respect that. Last time I looked, we're in a democratic society where people are free to do what they want to do, but his teammates know what he thinks of them. He knows what the social issues is that he thinks about. So, you know, he does it with our support. End quote. And again, that's a quote from Adrian Heath in last night's postgame press conference when I asked him about Brent Coleman's decision to stand once again instead of kneel in the kickoff uh, observance for the Black Lives Matter movement and, uh, and social injustice in our society. And it's kind of the answer I expected from Heath. Um, I do recognize that I may have caught him a little off guard with that question. It wasn't a, there wasn't a lead into that question, a good segue. Uh, it was just kind of out of the blue within the press conference. So uh, I do think that he responded to that kind of in the way I expected. But when you look at the other side of it, because he is right that does, you know, we live in a democracy and people have every right to feel the way they feel about something and respectfully disagree on topics. I think we've seen that play out all week long during the you know election we just experienced. But that also goes the other way too, right? Brent has every right to disagree, but Minnesota United fans and the community also have every right to feel disappointed, angry, and let down by that decision. So again, I apologize for not getting that from the source when we had Brent after the Chicago game, but um, I, I hope that Adrian's response uh, provided at least a little bit of clarity to that situation going on as it's been an ongoing discussion, obviously not only in the Minnesota United locker room, but among Lou's fans as well. So let's now transition on the field. 3-0 in the finale last night. Perfect way to end the season if you're a Loons fan. And what I was most impressed with and pleased by and encouraged by by this team is that there was no real striker on the field. Robin Lode was at the 9. But they didn't force him to play a traditional 9 role. There was very fluid play between the front four, which included Lode, uh, Molino and Finley on the wings, and then Reynoso at the 10. Um, like I said, Loon did not play his typical striker's positioning, tracking back a lot, finding himself in the middle of the pitch more than at the top. But that trio of Reynoso, Molino, and Loon were the assist-to-shot combination on all three of Minnesota's goals. Just a solid performance up front for the Loons and, and a really scrappy defensive effort, too. I, I noted early on that things seemed a little unorganized and um, Loons fans had not been used to seeing the lack of solidness um, in that back line. But considering you're without Michael Boxall, considering you're without Ike Opara, um, considering kind of what you have to work with, Minnesota United has really made lemonade out of lemons this year with that. And again, another scrappy performance by that back line last night. They found ways to keep the ball out of the net. Bakayi Debasi played excellent. Coleman made an excellent play, heading the ball off the line to save a goal. It was the team effort you wanted to see to close out the regular season on a high note and go into the playoffs with some momentum. So, so now we turn our attention to Colorado. The game date and time, like I said, hasn't been specified. It will be sometime between November 21st and November 24th, depending on when they schedule. And the Loons' perpetual nature of playing shorthanded this season and their experience in doing so could honestly come in handy as they'll be without four starters due to international duty. If you had not heard this yet, Andy Greeter from the Pioneer Press tweeted this out last week uh, ahead of the finale against Colorado. 
four Minnesota United starters will be leaving on international duty and will miss the Loons' first round match against Colorado. Kai Kamara will be joining Sierra Leone and Roman Metinero will join Madagascar as they'll both compete in the early rounds of the African Cup of, Cup of Nations. And Jan Gregus will rejoin Slovakia and Robin Lud will compete for Finland in the UEFA Nations League. So again, without four starters, the Loons are used to playing shorthanded. They are on a bit of a hot streak and I think have kind of found their footing and found ways to cope with those losses here at the back end of the season. So while it's not ideal, I do think you have reason as a Minnesota United fan to be optimistic about what that result could be despite the omissions from the 18 that we're going to see. As far as the matchup goes, I think avoiding LAFC is just huge. And whether it would have been Dallas again or Colorado, I think those were obviously the preferable options to playing Carlos Vela and LAFC. You obviously don't have Kamara or Lode, but you have Reynoso, Molino, Finley, and Schoenfeld. And that's still a competitive front four. Ja'Cory Hayes has been excellent, so without the presence of Jan Gregus, uh, he'll fit in just fine in the defensive midfield. I'm not really too worried about that portion of the pitch. The X factor will be the availability of Ozzy Alonso. If he's available, the always capable Hassani Dodson takes Metnair's spot on, at right back. And that's a pretty solid 11, all things considered. But if Ozzy's still hurt and he's unable to play or una unable to sp start or play a, a large amount of minutes, Dotson will have to play defensive mid, and you're looking at possibly Noah Billingsley slotting him back there at right back. Taking nothing away from Billingsley here, but you would obviously rather have option A in that scenario. So that to me is the biggest storyline and the biggest thing to look out for between now and the first round matchup, which will be here in a couple weeks, depending on, and we don't know the exact day and time again. What is Ozzy Alonso's status? Will he be available? How is he progressing in his rehabilitation? And what is his timetable looking like? Because if he is unable for that first round match, you're talking about five crucial omissions between the four guys on international duty and Ozzy Alonso. I'm not sure Minnesota United can make up for that many crucial pieces out. But if Ozzy Alonso can play, and he can play a vast majority of minutes there in the defensive midfield, I think you have a really, really good chance if you're Minnesota United to advance to the next round. And then when you advance to the next round, depending on when that matchup is, and I hope MLS will do Minnesota United a favor in that scheduling, hypothetically speaking, if the Loons make a pass round one, I hope that their game will be scheduled in the latter portion of those semifinals. Because if it is, then you have a better chance of having all four of those guys back. If it's in the early portion, depending on quarantines, you still could be missing a few of those guys as they return from international duty. So hopefully MLS and playoff scheduling uh, gives Minnesota United a break and moves to the latter portion of the semis. But they have to win the first round first to even get to that point and get to a point where we can have that realistic discussion. But again, it's going to be Minnesota United. It's going to be the Colorado Rapids. It's going to be sometime November 21st uh, through the 24th. Um, and that is a very intriguing matchup and one I think Minnesota United has a good chance of moving on if Ozzy Alonso is fit and available. That's really it for the Loons Talk. A lot of other podcasts out there going more in-depth on the finale against FC Dallas and on the uh, impending first-round matchup against Colorado. I suggest you check those out. 55-1, Minnesota Soccer Podcast, Pot on You Loons, Lunacy Podcast, The Daves I Know, 
you know, so many good Minnesota United podcasts out there that are much better at going in depth on the tactics and the implications on certain things. So I um, highly suggest checking those out, but I, I hope you enjoyed kind of our surface level review of the finale and preview of, of what should be an intriguing first round matchup. We will go more in depth on that first round matchup as it gets closer here in a couple of weeks. But we're going to finish off this podcast again with my interview with new Minneapolis City Director of Goalkeeping, Ali Lipscher. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. Now it's time to welcome in owner of First Line Football and Director of Goalkeeping at the University of Minnesota, Fusion Soccer Academy, and now holds the same role at Minneapolis City SC. It's Ali Lipscher. Ali, thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. So in, in addition to your coaching resume, you also have an extensive list of success as a player as well. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I want to start by talking about your early life and your early exposure to soccer. Um, how early did you start playing? And when did you kind of know that you wanted to maybe pursue that uh, for a living? Uh, I was I was like a lot of kids. I started when I was like five. Um, yeah. and, and I guess like a lot of kids as well, I started off playing everything. Um, mm-hmm. But one by one, you know, soccer was just kind of the thing. Like when it was when when the season came around, and my dad would be like, "All right, like it's time to sign up for soccer. Do you want to play again?" It was always yes. And you know, one by yeah. one, like the softball and the basketball and the volleyball and all those other sports. I was mm. kind of like, "No, I think I want to do soccer this season instead." Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it. I started at an early age, um, and I was I was lucky. I played for the same club uh, my entire my entire wow. like club career. Um, I should preface that <clears throat> by saying I grew up in Hawaii. Um, okay. So it wasn't like I was in California and there was, you know, a thousand clubs uh, mm-hmm. within a 10 mile radius. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I found a great fit with the club that I was at and I played from there from when I was five and until I graduated from high school. Not a lot of people equate Hawaii as a, a booming soccer state. Uh, what did you find in your early career? And, and as you grew up there, was the interest in soccer growing? You know, what, what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. I would say we had some of um, we had some very, very cool like pioneers in the game mm-hmm. um, that, that were sort of from Hawaii, people that were starting to make waves, you know, go um, play at Santa Clara, like the head coach at, at UH right now was, was really heavy in the club scene and she played at Santa Clara. Um, so there was there was you're, you were starting to see that, um, which for me, you know, as a kid was great because I knew it was possible. Yeah. Um, I didn't know I wanted it when I was obviously five or whatever, but, yeah. but there, there was an interest, there was, you know, a growing talent pool. Um, I, I am, you know, certainly biased, but I think that we, my club brought in a really, really good DOC, um, when I was about 13, who, who, you know, sort of took the reins with, with our team. And I was on a team, um, that was, that, that was really good, um, for Hawaii. And then we ended up competing, you know, on, on a regional level as well, um, and that was still a time when ODP was um, was kind of the main pathway through the U.S. system. Um, mm. So we had a lot of girls, you know, going into regional camps. I was really lucky and I got picked up um, for a regional team and then some national pools and teams from there. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, kind of early exposure, if you will. I guess if 12 mm. is, is 12 was early. I don't know if it is now. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but But it was great. I think that and I think, you know, the talent level in Hawaii is, has just gotten better. You're seeing more, more girls um, coming out of Hawaii, more girls and guys coming out of Hawaii um, that, are, that are doing well in the, in the college level, that are doing well at the professional level. I think um, at one time there was probably three or four um, players from Hawaii in, in the NWSL. Um, and now there's, you know, at least one active that I can think of, hopefully more to come, uh, a couple yeah. of good players coming out of the college scene soon. So, yeah, yeah, it's growing. I'm super proud to be from Hawaii. 
um, super proud of, of how well the, the soccer scene is done there. And, and yeah. You mentioned your interest in soccer, you know, continually being higher than your interest in other sports. Was that reflecting on the field too? Did you find yourself, you know, uh, competing at a higher level on the soccer pitch than maybe some other sports? And when did you start to kind of maybe separate yourself as one of the, one of the better players? Yeah, maybe, right? I guess uh, I can certainly say now that I don't like not being good at things. I get pretty competitive. So so maybe that was, was an influencing factor when I was yeah. a kid. Um, but I started actually started playing in goal. I was a goalkeeper. And I started playing in goal when I was like eight. And it was just one of those things where everyone kind of got rotated in. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone else was like, yeah, I'll do it. But it sucks. And I was like, no, this is awesome. Like, I'll, I'll do this all the time if you want me to. Um, yeah. So, so that stuck pretty early and yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I found success in it, I guess, as an early age and, and I thought it was fun and maybe I thought it was fun because I was pretty good at it and whatever <laughs> combination of those things are sort of led me, led me down that path. Nice. And, and what, what, I guess, what about goalkeeping interested you the most at, at, at that early age? Cause I feel like at that early age, everybody wants to score goals. Everybody wants to be a forward. Everybody wants to put the ball in the net. So what about being a goalkeeper interested you more than that route? Yeah, you know, I don't know if I can really put my finger on it. I just sort of always enjoyed it. Um, it was it was kind of a different set of athletic skills, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm trying to channel like eight-year-old me or whatever. And <laughs> uh, it was really fun. I think uh, because it's such a small pool, um, yeah. I got to train with like older guys a lot and like older players. And I thought that was really fun. Um, and, and my club was, was great where, you know, we were training with guys teams a lot or training with older girls teams a lot. And there was sort of a lot of like opportunity to be challenged. Um, and I found that within the goalkeeping position as well. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know what, I, I was, I'm probably speaking on, I would argue like 99% of goalkeepers. Once we stop playing, um, we, we just live out all of our like childhood fantasies of playing on the field and we will never put on our gloves again. And for every like pickup <laughs> game and rec league and whatever we play and we're like, nope, I was a forward. I was a forward. I'm going to go play up top. Yep, definitely. Um, so you commit to Duke, become a four-year Division One starter, widely recognized as one of, the, one of the top goalkeepers in the country, 33 career shutouts, second best goals against average in school history. I mean, you guys did really well as a team during that time too, two sweet 16s, one elite eight. Was it during that time with the Blue Devils that you really started to realize that, that you had that realistic path to a professional career and could take that next step afterward? Yeah, it really was. Um, and I think you know, to, to jump forward to a question that you asked about kind of how I got into coaching. When I was in college, I had um, a coach, Nate Kip, who, who coached me. And he was the one that just like, I mean, sometimes you form a relationship with a coach and, and that really is what helps you blossom, right? Like he was the one that was kind of able to get me to, you know, push outside of my comfort zone, get me to understand and think about goalkeeping in a way that I hadn't before. Um, and really sort of open up my eyes to that being a possibility and even like wanting that. Um, and, and so, so I was really lucky to, to kind of, you know, have him as a mentor in college. Um, and, and I was lucky that, that there was a league, you know, when I went to college was the year that I went to college was the year that the, the WSA folded. Um, so I was lucky that within kind of the next five years, there was a league to, to jump into when, when I did kind of have the motivation and the desire and the talent and all that, those things to, to jump into it. Definitely. So the WPSL was the main league at the time, uh, which you, which you jumped to after, after your time mm-hmm. at Duke, after your stellar college career, um, you know, you had a great professional career to piggyback off of your great college career right away. You guys won the 2008 national championship with IX America. You yeah. were named all tournament team. Were you surprised personally with that sort of instant success that you had in your, in your first couple of years, or did you expect that you were going to have a start like that after your good college career? 
Um, man, I, and that was, so that year after college, I, I moved out to LA because I had one of my good college teammates that was playing on this team. And she was like, hey, I know you want to play soccer. Like, this is a great team. Um, at, at that time, there was no professional league. And all of the kind of the, the former pros and the best college players were playing um, mm. in that league. So it was really natural to jump into that. Again, like, I feel like I've just had such great people in my life and, and such yeah great guidance in my life where I, you know, I was on a team with some really, really, really good players. Um, and it was super fun too, because <clears throat> there's kids coming out of college like me that were just kind of, you know, driving to, to the next level. Um, there was girls that were five years out of college, 10 years out of college that were still super talented and just wanted to play at a high level. Um, and it was really fun. Yeah. I got to live in LA for a year after, after I graduated <clears throat> and play with Ajax. Um, we had a great coach in, in Brian Boswell. Um, and, and we did, we did well. Yeah. I remember, um, that was, that was fun. That was the first time that, that I'd ever competed for a national championship in, in anything. I mean, we did well in college, but we never made it to, you know, the championship game. So that was, that was really fun and really special. I think to answer your question, um, I think that I was surprised, um, yep. that we had gotten there and I was, I was surprised at kind of like how cool it was and how good it felt. And I think it just sort of motivated me to, to want to keep going. When you look at what the options were post-college back in uh, 2008 to what those options are for female players in college now with the w NWSL, you know, you have the WSL over in England that's obviously making waves. Uh, do you do you find yourself sometimes wishing that you had uh, played in a different time and had those post-college options? Or, or are you kind of, are you happy and satisfied with, with the route that you took being the route that you took? Oh, I mean, it, the, the way that, I, I'm very happy that things have grown that the way that they have. Um, you know, I certainly don't have any, you know, real regrets about about my career, what I did and the opportunities I had. I did have the opportunity to play abroad, um, which was fun. There, I think there was definitely, you know, opportunities sort of in Sweden and Germany. Those are the big leagues on, on the women's side that we could go play at. Um, Iceland was was another one at the time. Um, but but again, like with with sort of that intermittent period between the two professional leagues like the the semi-pro level in the u.s was really good yeah. at the time the training was great the, the player pools were fantastic um and then you also kind of had like the building hype around like this league that was you know kind of being being formed and that was really fun to sort of be around i bet did that did that influence like at all like uh, you transitioned from playing to coaching uh after after your playing career but with the nwsl kind of on the horizon did that really give you some pause as to like maybe i should stick this out a few more years and and, and maybe see if i if i can join this new league and and really compete at that level yeah that was that was a hard that it was a hard decision um and you know i think when when i i think when i um when the league folded, sorry, my dogs might bark because there's someone coming in. The That's door. okay. My cat just threw up like a foot away from me like <laughs> two minutes ago. So we're, we're good. <laughs> All right. Um, yep. I think, okay. All right. We're, I think we're safe. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that was a difficult decision to make. Um, there was, I think, honestly, like the wind was sort of taken out of my sails when the league folded. I had, uh, I had just gotten... I literally was in Australia for, for a, a season there. I had signed with Atlanta again. I was on my way back and I like got off the plane. I got off on the plane in Hawaii to like stop at home on my way kind of back to Atlanta, turned on my American phone again. It was just flooded with like the league shut down. What are you going to do? All this stuff, all this stuff. So there was a little sort of a limbo period uh, for a couple of months where I was like, shoot, I just got to figure out like what I'm going to do with my life. And I think that started the wheels turning into you know, how can I, how can I transition? Um, what do I want to transition into? You know, I had, you have, you coach a lot when, when you're playing. Um, so I'd had sort of the experiences um, of, of doing that. And, and 
kind of committed to the idea of giving it a try. Um, and so when I played, you know, sort of, I played in that WPSL elite league uh, with the New York mm -hmm. Flash and that sort of interim season and, and then had the opportunity to, to jump into the college world um, and just sort of just decided to take it. So it was one season in Australia for you then? Uh, two. So two seasons in Australia. Seasons. It was, okay. it was offset really nice. I think it still is where, um, you know, the, the season here sort of ran through like September, October. Uh, and then you just jumped right down to Australia and you played down there until February. And then you came right back. It was really nice, really fun. Yeah. So my, my question was, did, did you do both at the same time or did you go from your time in America to your time in Australia? Did, was there, so there was an overlapping period there? Yeah. It was just back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. There were seasons. Yep. Um, Two-part question then during, about your time in Australia. First, how did it compare to the women's game here? Now, obviously, Australia probably had more of a legitimate professional presence uh, at that time. But in terms of the competition that you saw in Australia during that time, and then comparing that to what we're seeing in America now, you know, how did Australia then kind of compare to both of those? Um, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I would say it was, if I had to think back on it, it was equivalent to... Um, maybe what the WPSL was kind of in those years okay. leading up to um, the, the WPS where, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of talent. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like professional. It was like semi-professional um, in a lot of ways, but they were getting, it was a great league. They were getting a lot of really good um, American players because it offset with the season here so mm -hmm. well. Um, and it was a really cool place to spend your off season. And, I bet. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and, and I would say like, it's grown from there. I mean, Australia is one of the countries that's, um, that's now putting some pressure on, you know, the system in general by playing their, paying their women's side as much as they're yeah. paying their men's side. Um, they've got a, you know, the A-League on the men's side is, is a great, um, is a great league. So there's a lot of sort of professionalism being, being injected into the game down there. Um, and I would, and I would argue, you know, I, I obviously haven't, haven't been in a long time, but I would argue it's on a much, much higher level now than it was uh, when I was there. Definitely. I would think with some of the, the financial decisions they've made over the last couple of years, you can definitely tell the women's game has grown there, you know, similar to how, how it has here and, and kind of those differences it has been mm -hmm. interesting to, to look at from an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so in, after, after your playing career, you did switch to coaching. Um, and before coming to Minnesota, you were on the staffs at ECU, Arizona, Trinity College, where you happen to receive your master's in public policy, by the way. Uh, when did you first begin to have those aspirations of coaching? I know you answered this question a little bit when talking about your time in college, but when did that start to realize, okay, this is something I definitely want to do after my playing career is over? Yeah, um, it, it took a little bit. I mean, I mean, you mentioned, you know, I went, I went back to get my master's and, and just to see if, if some of the other interests that I had in life were, were things that were going to sort of like carry me through a career or was something that I wanted to pursue. Um, and ultimately, like, I just, I couldn't get away from soccer. There was, there was something about coaching that kind of kept drawing me back and, and in reflecting sort of in the, the mentors and the experiences that I've had, it's definitely made me realize that I can be and I want to be that person for for other players, specifically other goalkeepers. You know, I love coaching soccer um, and I love coaching goalkeepers specifically. And, and I, I can do both. And, and if I had the choice, I would definitely, you know, I would definitely coach goalkeepers. I just, I think it's fun. I think we're a bunch of weirdos and we need to be surrounded by weirdos <laughs> who understand us. Um, and, and yeah, there's, there was definitely, there was definitely a shift kind of within, you know, exploring my first, uh, my first sort of full-time job and, mm -hmm. and then kind of exploring the, the corporate world, the nine to five world, if you will. And there was somewhere in there that I was like, no, there's, this is, this is what I want to do. 
so I feel like goalkeeping, just in the name, like, like, so you have like your head coach, your assistant coach on the staff, but goalkeeping, it's director of goalkeeping. It's always sounds so very official. What yeah. makes that coaching position, I guess, different than being just a general assistant coach or a, you know, a, a field players type coach? Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that. Honestly, like my titles have included that director of goalkeeping, because I think for a long time and, and even now, like goalkeeping, the goalkeeper coach is sort of seen as this like third or fourth like tier on the totem pole where you, again, you have your head, your assistant, your second assistant, and then your goalkeeper coach. I mean, um, and, and I think that honestly, like, I think that it's a position that, that it's a little bit more of a special teams position than it is just this kind of like fourth tier of coach where yes, you're technically responsible for like one or two or three or four, depending on your team um, players or one position. Uh, but that, I mean, that position, to me, again, I'm biased, I know. Um, it's where everything starts, right? It's where everything ends and where everything starts. And, and if you don't have have a goalkeeper um, that fits in within your team um, and, and is able to compete uh, at the level and the style and, and understand the game and the way that your team plays, then, then you're going to be at a serious disadvantage. So um, especially when uh, I think you're operating within like a club system, perhaps, uh, and you've got multiple teams then then there is you know and multiple goalkeeper coaches then again that director of goalkeeping role becomes as much about sort of like coach development as it does about player development and and creating strong pathways and, and all of that entering now your second season as university of minnesota's director of goalkeeping um here in the spring what made the gophers the choice for you to continue your coaching career why come to minnesota uh, I was very lucky. Um, so I actually moved to Minnesota because my wife got a job here. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So I, so followed, here. I followed her here. Um, and then within, I mean, with, I think within, you know, a couple of months of, uh, of being here, the goalkeeper coach, uh, who was at the U, um, left. So the position opened up, I had reached out to Steph just kind of upon, you know, moving here. I had never met her, but she went to Duke. Um, she was a few years ahead of me. So I reached out just being like, Hey, like we went to the same school. Let's like grab a beer and watch soccer or something, you know, at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so luckily I had already established that kind of connection and, and this kind of came up. Yeah. As, as a great opportunity. And I'm, I'm really happy that, that it did. We've had fellow gopher assistant Maya Hayes on the podcast before. Yeah. I know you've played and coached alongside with a lot of very successful former players in the past, but what's it like working side by side with her now on the staff? It is a lot of fun. Um, she's got a great soccer brain. It's it's really great to have um, someone who can come in and speak to you know our attacking core uh, from such a high level. Um, mm. And and it's fun just to have someone to to talk soccer with all the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great having her on staff. What's the spring season looking like for you guys right now? I mean, do you guys have any detail? I talked to Maya, I think about a little over a month ago, she had no details on what the spring season yeah. was looking like. Have you guys gotten anything in the meantime in terms of a schedule, timetable, a number of games you're anticipating, et cetera, et cetera? We have, we have gotten hope is what we've been, what we've been doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully if, if everything kind of turns out the way that um, that we'd like it to kind of in the best case scenario, our seasons will ultimately just be reversed where right now we are in what would be the fall and we're basically having a spring season and off season. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully we can transition into having um, some version of, of a full season in the spring. We don't have a lot of details about what that looks like. Um, we know it includes games, which is about as you know good as we can ask for yeah. in terms of a starting point. Um, but, but we're hopeful. Yeah, we're, we're hopeful. Our girls are great. They're doing um, a really good job of, of staying safe and following protocols and, and all of that. So hopefully, you know, that, that trend continues and, and we can, we can get going in the, in the spring. 
what's been what's been the overall i guess attitude or i guess the 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 thing that's really been keeping keeping the core together because obviously you know you go in thinking you're gonna have a fall season that gets postponed at the at the 11th hour basically um and now you have this kind of limbo period where you continue practicing but you don't know what the spring season look like so you don't know what to anticipate how has the team sort of handled uh all this unknown during this time they have been awesome um and a lot of credit to them you know i this has been really hard it's been really hard for everyone this has been really hard for like us as a staff um and that's probably only you know a fraction of how hard it's been for for the players who are the most directly affected by it where where they haven't been able to play a competitive game some of them in over a year and and i can't imagine how hard that would be kind of in the middle of of a college career and and i give them a lot of credit because they've handled it um, with a lot of grace and a lot of maturity. Um, and, and they put their head down and they work and, and it's not perfect every day, but you know, they regroup and they come back and they do it again the next day, which is, which has got to be so much harder than we really give them credit for. So, uh, uh, yeah, I can, I can only imagine what that's like. I'm glad I am out of college and, and on yeah. and, and don't have to deal with any of that because that, that, um, I don't know how I would have honestly handled that in college. So yeah, yeah so. kudos to the, to the players and, and you coaches and everybody involved for uh, keeping that mindset and, and keeping that focus for this entire time. Cause that's crazy. Um, so in addition to your work with the university of Minnesota, you also are the director of goalkeeping at fusion soccer Academy. And most recently you've joined the staff at Minneapolis city as their director of goalkeeping. Tell me how that communication began between yourself and the crows. Did, did John or Adam reach out to you or did you open up that conversation? Uh, what was that like? Uh, so I know Matt, Matt was really kind of where that conversation okay, started because yeah, he coaches with infusion. So, um, you know, just having conversations with him and learning more about him and kind of what, what he's involved in. I, I had heard, you know, of uh, Minneapolis city before. And, and so in talking to him and his involvement, it just became um, more, I mean, more apparent, just like how cool they are, yeah. right? Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so so when the, he, and he mentioned, he was like, hey, there might be an opportunity. Um, immediately, I was like, yes, like, let me know more. Like, when can we get started? Like, just kind of like, all right, like, yeah. I'm in, like, let me learn more, let's go. Um, and they were great about it. You know, he, he introduced me to Adam. I had great conversations with Adam. I got to go out and watch um, a couple training sessions. They had a cool, like, 7v7 um, fall yeah. tournament set up. So got to watch that, meet some of the guys, and and yeah, just made sure it was it was a good fit, and and jumped right in. It's definitely something that, that you see, and you're like, man, this would be really be cool to be a part of, mm -hmm. and to actually have that opportunity must be awesome. So, uh, you and Tori Burnett are not only two of the newest additions to the training staff at City, but also the first two women to join a staff in the NPSL North. What does it mean to you to kind of hold that honor, and what do you think it means for more women holding these positions, not just in lower league soccer, not just in college soccer, but just in soccer in general moving forward, uh, specifically on the men's side? Yeah, yeah, it's exciting for me. I think that, you know, for me, I don't I don't know why there's not a woman coaching in the MLS yet. I don't know why there's not a woman coaching in in the upper division of um in you know any of the other sort of foreign European leagues maybe. Um there's so many great soccer players that have transitioned into great soccer coaches that it seems like um you know there there's an underutilized resource there. Um so for me it's exciting. Um and, and, you know, it's exciting in a way that, you know, it's, I, I hope it's, I hope it's not exciting in a couple of years, right? I hope, yeah. it's, not, I hope it's, I hope it's just par for the course mm -hmm. uh, where, where you get, you know, good soccer brains uh, that are the good fit for whatever club that you're at. Um, and, and so, yeah. 
when I was when I was writing the notes for this, I was even thinking like, I I hope soon we can get to a point where this doesn't really have to be like a super big deal. Like it's cool to have that honor. It's cool to have that recognition. But I really hope soon we get to a point where it's just you know you're you're a coach. You're not a women. You're not the women's coach in a men's game. You're you're just you're you're a soccer coach. You know. Yeah, and, yeah, and it, and and it feels like we are getting there. When I you know when I was talking to the club um, about joining, I think they were they were great about being like look, we want you here because it's cool to have a woman on staff, um, but we want you here because we want you here. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a great thing to hear as well. So what's your first order of business with City specifically? I know you have the spring season coming up with the U, uh, but are they involving you in the process with the futures here in the near future or futures here in the near future? Um, <laughs> are you kind of waiting until heading into the next NPSL season? What's your schedule looking like with them? I will jump in with the futures tryouts and just kind of help out. You know, that gives me an opportunity to get to learn um, who some of the players are, some of the staff, um, get to know the staff a little bit better. Um, and again, like, I mean, ultimately what I'm trying to create, right, is, is I'm trying to help create like a pipeline from the futures up through, um, you know, the, the, the full team. And, and so this seems like a great place to start. So I'm going to jump right in, help with them. You know, as, as we get going, I'll, I'll start doing some training with, um, with the top keepers as well and, and just sort of get things rolling uh, as soon as we can. We've talked about all your roles and people listening like, man, she does a lot. She's director of goalkeeping at the U, Fusion Soccer Academy, Minneapolis City. Well, we haven't even mentioned that you own a business. <laughs> so let's get into that first line football uh from what i've gathered this is this is really a, a training regimen and resource for for goalkeepers can you expand on that a little bit yeah absolutely first line football is um you know a, a project that i started with um with the original intent of you know doing individuals and small group sessions for goalkeepers at the end of the day like i love training goalkeepers um and doing it at, at various levels through you know the youth all the way up until um, you know, like the, the older start of the men's game now presents a lot of really great ways to grow as a coach um, and, and ultimately makes you better. So, so what I was able to do with the business is just apply this philosophy that I have uh, and make it something more than just kids contacting me for individual lessons um, mm -hmm. and kind of give it some, some structure, um, give it a brand, you know, kind of give, give it an identity uh, of sorts and have, and have something for, for kids to, you know, relate to because, when, when they train with me, they're learning from me. Um, but when they're training, you know, with first line football, they're, they're understanding um, what essentially I have as a philosophy, which again, like, I, I hate to use this term because it's so overused, but like the modern goalkeeper is no longer the last line of attack, right? Like, or excuse mm -hmm. me, the last line of defense, they're the first line of attack. Um, mm -hmm. and everything that comes with that, um, where, you know, you have to be a great decision maker is kind of first and foremost, where you see goalkeepers um, needing, needing to be better. Um, mm -hmm as they sort of get older, they have to be good with their feet. They have to understand the game. They have to be soccer players before goalkeepers and all these sort of pieces that, that I see as fundamental to the position. I'm able to sort of umbrella under, um, under the company and sort of apply that as a philosophy for, for the goalkeepers that come through. When you talk about all the aspects that, that come with, with being a good goalkeeper, I automatically go to Minnesota United's goalkeeper, Dane St. Clair, uh, and not just the physical attributes that he has and that decision-making, but the leadership that a good goalkeeper really needs to show in terms of talking to your defense, you know, being vocal, being loud, being that sort of presence on the pitch. How, how big of an aspect is that to a goalkeeper's game uh, when you factor in all everything else too? 
Yeah, it's huge. And especially, I mean, for him, right? Like, like just kind of jumping into the role in a yep. weird season um, off the back of an injury of, of another keeper, not really an injury, but I just, you know, a surgery of another keeper. Um, it's huge. And it takes, it takes a lot of maturity, which is, which is really impressive from a young goalkeeper like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and presence, like presence is this great word that that's um, made up of all those little things that you were describing. It's the communication element, it's the decision-making element, it's a confidence element, and all those things have to work uh, symbiotically with each other to have this this thing, this presence um, that you really need to have to, to be, you know, at the top of your game. So so what is the goal professionally for you then uh, as a coach? Are, are you good with where things stand right now? Is it to grow first-line football, or do you want to advance your coaching career uh, further than it is? Kind of what, what do you see in your in your future, both in coaching and with, uh, with the first-line football? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I want to continue to grow um, where where that is. I'm not entirely sure yet. I mean, I... You know, I, I just got to put the hat on at, at City, so I'm, I'm obviously going to, yeah. um, you know, just really dive in and invest to that and invest that in that, excuse me, and um, and just continue to grow myself and see where and see where that takes me, you know, see where my growth happens, um, see what, you know, networks and connections and, and all of that, um, and, and just kind of let things roll from there. That's kind of what you have to do as a coach, right? Definitely, definitely. Well, Ali Lipscher, Director of Goalkeeping at, let's see if I got this right, University of Minnesota, Fusion <laughs> Soccer Academy, now Minneapolis City, and owner of First Line Football. If you want to learn more about First Line Football, go to firstline.football. That is F U T B O L on the back end there. That's right. Ali, thank you so, so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And I'm very, very sure we will talk again soon. Okay. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Great to talk to you.